Hi ladies and welcome to the Amazing Bible Dot Book Club. I'm Julie Callio, your host, and thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Oh, ladies, today we are in for a treat, and I have been praying that the Lord will guide my thoughts and words so that I may show you the wonders that are in these three chapters of the Psalms, Psalm 22, 23, and 24. Dr. Yule describes these three chapters as the suffering king, the trusting king, and the reigning king. I like his description because if you remember, according to Godfrey's book, Learning to Love the Psalms, book one, which is Psalms 1 through 41, are given a title, The King's Confidence in God's Care. Also, keep in mind that the majority of the Psalms in book one are of King David. The rest are anonymous, so no other writer is listed in book one. One thing to remember as we read these psalms is that they were first songs of David, but especially with these three psalms, we will see that they also beautifully revealed Jesus. Psalm 22 starts off, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do these words remind you of anything? Jesus quoted Psalm 22 while he hung on the cross. Matthew 27:45 and Mark 15:34 show us this verse. The psalm continues in anguish, yet it is still a prayer crying out to God. In verses 7 and 8, it describes the mockers of the king. They shoot their mouths off and they shake their heads and they say, He trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him since he delights in the Lord. Matthew writes about the scoffers at the cross. He saved others, but he can't save himself. And then verse 43 says, He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he says, I am the son of God. This is also found in Luke 23:35. The next paragraph, or in the Hebrew poetry, it's called a strophe, S-T-R-O-P-H-E, In music terms nowadays, we might call it a verse or a a stanza. But the next stanza says, Yet you, God, are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon you I will cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. In the midst of the suffering, there is still a realization that the king that Jesus is still trusting in the Creator. In the next strophe, the agony continues. In verse 15, David writes, His strength is dried up, his tongue cleaves to his jaw. Well, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 19, verse 28, it says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. Did you catch that? so that the scripture, the Old Testament, would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I thirst. One thing that Nancy Guthrie pointed out in her book, Discovering Jesus in the Old Testament, she said, It is interesting that Jesus said he was thirsty, 
because though he had been whipped and beaten and nailed to the cross, he never complained about the physical torture or agony. So why I thirst? The book of John tells us he did it in order to fulfill scripture. Verse 16 of Psalm 22 says, They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. All four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, talk of Jesus being crucified. The Romans pierced his hands and his feet. It's in the book of John that we discover that because Jesus was already dead, the Roman soldiers did not break Jesus' legs. It was a custom that if they needed people to die faster while being crucified, the soldiers would break the legs of those hanging because then the person could not hold themselves up in order to catch a breath, and so they would die more quickly. But Jesus' bones were not broken. Verse 18 says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This is also found in all four Gospels, Matthew 27, verse 35, Mark 15, 24, Luke 23, 34, and John 19, 24. The agonizing prayer continues in verse 21, and then the second half of the psalm is an ardent praise. This is how Godfrey describes it in his book, Agonizing Prayer and Ardent Praise. One thing to think about When Jesus was tempted by Satan, he quoted the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy, the laws. Here, when Jesus is dying on the cross, he quotes from the Psalms. In both times, the Lord Jesus, who was the Son of God, still quoted scripture. If he did it, then we should do it too. Verse 22 starts, I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. This passage is also written in the New Testament book of Hebrews in chapter 2. And the writer of Hebrews tells us to pay attention. He then tells us that Jesus is fully human. And he quotes Psalm 8 to show us that God has placed everything under his feet. Because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God... Jesus might taste death for everyone. Then verse 10 of chapter 2 of Hebrews says, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. The one who makes people holy and those who are holy are the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. And then he quotes Psalm 22, verse 22. Because Jesus paid the price, we who believe in Jesus are a part of the family of God. And Jesus is not ashamed to call you his sister. This is the reason we can have ardent praise. Then verse 24 says that God heard the prayer. Then comes the praise of the great assembly where all the families of the nations will worship for the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. 
in Revelation, it talks about from people of every tribe and nation who will praise the Lord. Then verses 29 and 30 show the retribution principle. But even those who do not believe will bow before him. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 2, 10 and 11 that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Then the last two verses of Psalm 22 says, A seed shall serve him. David's seed. Jesus is born of David's line. So a seed shall serve him, and it shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he has done this. It is done. The apostles were a part of that generation. They wrote of the righteousness of God. We are a part of that generation. And now that I am a grandma, there is a generation that shall be born. And I want to make sure that I declare his righteousness to them. We who believe in Jesus have that responsibility. We are to carry the best news of all. It's done. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. That's recorded in John chapter 19, verse 30. With that, Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So in Psalm 22, we see the suffering king. In Psalm 23, we see the trusting king. This is that very familiar chapter of the Bible that sometimes is read at funerals. There is also a song by Keith Green called The Lord is My Shepherd, Psalm 23, that is one of my favorites, and he goes through this psalm quite well. If you have time, you may want to check it out. Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God provides our needs. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. I think these verses are especially for women. He makes us rest. Why? Because we need it. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He restores us. He guides us to bring him glory. Verses 1 through 3 are the first strophe or the first stanza. Then verses 4 through 6 are the second. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Lord is with us and comforts us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. God does not remove us from our enemies, but he exalts us in front of our enemies. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This psalm shows the Lord's provision as a shepherd, which makes us sheep. One time in high school, I was singing an old church camp song. It goes like this. I just want to be a sheep. Ba, I just want to be a sheep. Ba, I just want to be a sheep. Ba, I just want to be a sheep. Ba. Of course, then it goes into, I don't want to be a Sadducee, for they are very sad, you see. I don't want to be a Pharisee, for they are not very fair, you see, etc. 
So I was singing this, not even realizing I was doing it. And a fellow classmate said to me, Julie, why do you want to be a sheep? They are stupid animals. I was so shy back then that I probably didn't say anything. I'm sure I turned bright red. And if I did say anything, I probably said, I don't know. Truth is, I don't even remember how I responded, but I'll never forget the comment because it has put a new light on this psalm for me. Sheep are dumb animals. That's why they follow the shepherd. They get lost and they could get killed by wild animals unless they follow the shepherd. As Dr. Yule discussed in his lecture to our class, this psalm shows that we are needy sheep, we are wandering sheep, we are feeble sheep, we are frightened sheep, we are distressed sheep, we are weary sheep, and we are fragile sheep. And thankfully, Jesus makes a great shepherd. The last line of Psalm 23 says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then Psalm 24, We are ascending to the holy hill, to the holy place, to the house of the Lord. Just as a reminder, Jerusalem is located on a hill. So people had to go up to Jerusalem and they had to go up in order to go to the temple. Psalm 24 begins with, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Lord created everything and everyone, and he owns everything. Therefore, who is worthy to ascend to his presence? The only people that can enter the presence of God are if they have clean hands, pure heart, lives in truth with God, and lives in truth with man. Remember that in the Old Testament, God made a way through sacrifices. But in the New Testament, Jesus became that ultimate sacrifice. Why? Because none of us have clean hands or a pure heart who live totally in truth with both God and with people. Nobody. Throughout all that we've read in the Old Testament, there's no one, not even King David himself, is pure enough. That's why we need a sacrifice. That's why we need Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul wrote, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. It is in Jesus that we have access It's in Jesus that we can have clean hands. It's in Jesus we have a pure heart. It's in Jesus that we can live in truth with God and live in truth with our brothers and sisters. Then verses 7 and 8 and then 9 and 10 are two similar sections of this song. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, O you ancient doors. Jerusalem was a walled and a gated city. We saw that again with Ezra and Nehemiah in those books. So in order to enter Jerusalem, the doors needed to be opened. Why open the doors, this song says, so that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, the Lord of hosts or armies. He is the king of glory. Now, 
One way these three chapters are grouped together is by kingship. We see a suffering king. We see a trusting king. And we see a king of glory. But another way these three chapters can be connected is by looking at Jesus as the shepherd. In the New Testament, there are three verses that talk of Jesus as a shepherd. There are more, but today we're just looking at these three. The first is John 10, 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Psalm 22 prophesies how Jesus will lay down his life for us, his sheep. Now Hebrews 13 verses 20 and 21 say, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Here we see the great shepherd and he directs our life and he equips us to do his will. He equips us that we may be pleasing in his sight. That is the great shepherd. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, Peter writes, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Psalm 24, the victorious king with the crown. As my book Through the Bible in One Year by Dr. Alan B. Stringfellow points out, Psalm 22 We see the good shepherd. It shows us the past and it shows us the cross. Psalm 23 shows us the great shepherd who shows the present and the crook. That was what the shepherd used. It's his stick. So that great shepherd guides us. And then Psalm 24, we see the chief shepherd. It shows the future and it shows the crown. No matter where you are in your life today, maybe you're suffering like Psalm 22. Maybe you're just living life today, but you could use some direction, Psalm 23. Or you feel victorious and great because the Lord Jesus is sitting on his throne, Psalm 24. In all of these situations, there is a shepherd for you. So today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts. Let's be women who pray and obey. Until next time, and thank you so much for listening.